Welcome to the Choose You Now podcast. I'm your host, Juliana Hever. Nava Atlas is the author of many vegetarian and vegan cookbooks, including Plant-Powered Protein, Five-Ingredient Vegan, and Wild About Greens. She also creates trade and limited edition visual books on women's issues, including the Literary's Ladies' Guide to the Writing Life. Listen to how this glorious woman chooses herself in the most delicious of ways. Nava Atlas, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. It's been quite a long time since we've spoken, and you are just one of the OG, one of the original vegan vegetarian cookbook authors. You've been doing this for so long, and you're so talented, and I'm excited to kind of dig in a little bit to your story. And um, first, I'd love to start with your the story that you share in your newest book, Vegetarania. Is it Vegetarania or Vegetarania? It's a Vegetariana. It's like sort of like it rhymes with Americana. Ah, see, I wrote vegetarian, and it's like the <laughs> so I'm like it's in my brain. Vegetarian, wait, vegetarian. That's so pretty. Vegetarian. Say it one more time. Vegetariana. Think of Americana. Sort of like Americana is like a collection of things, or you know that that ending a n a, a collection of information and tidbits about anything. So it's vegetariana. That's beautiful. Okay, thank you. I won't attempt it again. I'll, I'll have to practice. But you share in this book, your your revised version, about how you, as a young girl, didn't like meat. And just can you just tell your little story about uh, how this all started for you? Well, I don't know how far back to go, but as a child, I just never liked meat. And I would get into so much trouble. And my mom saying, you, you can't leave the table until you've eaten your food. And I grew up in a traditional Jewish household where you know the, the the carrots are boiled for three days and just everything just doesn't look appealing on the plate, and so it, interestingly, having become a food writer, I was a real problem eater. But I think the problem was I just didn't like the food. I didn't like how it looked or tasted. So when I was fourteen years old, I somehow got the inkling to ask my mom if I could disguise cook so I could disguise the meat. And my brother also didn't like meat. He's he's older than me. So I started out by making things like chili so that I could disguise it and spice it up. Then a couple of years later, I said, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm just not going to eat meat. And this did not go over very well with my parents at all. My mom said, I'm not going to cook two different meals for the family. If you want to be a vegetarian, you'll have to cook for yourself. So that you know, massively backfired because <laughs> as soon as I started cooking, I just really fell in love with it. And, you know, we'll talk about this more, but there just really weren't the ingredients back then. We're talking about, oh, I don't, I'm really going to date myself here, but, you know, we're talking about in the early 1970s. So the landscape of food and especially plant-based food looked much different than it does today. So, you know, I made do with things like lentils and rice and um maybe bags of uh, or boxes of frozen spinach. But, you know, I was just in love with the whole process. And then my family gradually wanted what I was eating. And uh-huh. then my mom started cooking more vegetarian dishes at the time. And then we were all, you know, more or less on the same plate together again. So we, we were all happy after that kind of uh, family crisis for a while. That's beautiful. And look at it, set you off on your way. And then you and then you kind of follow up that story in the book about your son repeating history. Can you talk about that? 
Oh, sure. So I was, uh, you know, I think I was 16 when I declared myself and even being a vegetarian, I always say that back then being a vegetarian was enough to make you a weirdo. Now I call, you know, becoming a vegan, you know, from vegetarian weirdos to vegan heroes because Uh people admire that. So we had uh, two children we raised them vegetarian. At the time, it was just crossing, starting to cross over. You started to hear the word vegan in the atmosphere. And neither of my children, who are now very, very old, <laughs> have ever tasted any kind of meat or fish. So, um, you know, after I think it was the age of the Internet, you started hearing things about dairy and how animals are treated and it started to become much more part of my awareness. I mean, believe it or not, even after being a vegetarian for a long time, I really didn't know anything about farms and factory farming practices. So I was learning. Yeah, how did we know? We didn't have access. It's incredible, the information. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the, you know, the changes is that we have access to this information literally at our fingertips. So I started thinking, well, you know, I'd really like to stop doing dairy, but can I do that for growing children? You know, we're all a product of our conditioning. So I thought, well, maybe if we go to a local dairy farm and I buy it locally, I'll feel better about it. So we took the kids on a field trip. They were at the time, they were 10 and 12 to a local dairy farm with, a you know, spotted cows are in the meadow. And it was a beautiful day with a blue sky and the puffy clouds. It looked like an advertisement. And the farmer, get, you know, took us on a tour. He was very proud of his little farm. And then I saw these crates in the distance in, with little calves in them. And I said, well, what's going to happen with those little guys? He said very blithely, oh, they're going to become veal. So once you see that, you can't unsee it. And my son, you know, so on the way home, none of us said anything. I think we were all kind of in a state of shock. Oh, and also he very proudly showed us the space where they impregnate the cows. That's something else that the dairy industry doesn't want people to know is that they have to artificially impregnate cows so they get calf and then they can lactate. And then the calves get taken away and, you know, put in those little crates. Well, we didn't say anything. The next day was a Monday. Uh, It was summer. My son went to camp. I gave him a rice cheese sandwich. At the time, we had rice cheese. I don't even know if they make that anymore. He comes back with his rice cheese sandwich, and I said, hey, why didn't you eat your lunch? He thought it was actual cheese, and he said, well, now I'm a vegan. So he would rather starve than eat something that he thought was cheese that day, and he declared himself, now I'm a vegan. And I just thought that was really precious, and I thought, you know what? If a 10-year-old can go vegan so can the rest of us. And we did. We all, you know, within the next week. That's such a beautiful story. How neat to do it as a family. And and you've proven that children can eat this way, not have meat and still grow up and survive. Absolutely. And, you know, years later, now years later, like I said, my children are very, very old. I'm just teasing. But um, we're all still vegans. That's incredible. Well, I mean, it's not incredible. It's just, it's amazing to be able to say that. And it's just amazing how people perceive that idea, right? That you can't right. raise children like that. In fact, while we're on that, because I, I have this as something I wanted to ask you later, but what, what, what is it like to raise lifelong plant-based children? What are some of your tips for those out there that think it's impossible or dangerous or 
difficult? You know, it's interesting, but just something popped into my mind is when they were really little and they were at the age of understanding, we just, and at the time we were vegetarians. I mean, like I said, even back then being a vegetarian was a really big deal. We said to them, you know, if you go to a friend's house or if you're at a birthday party and they're serving meat and, oh, well, before, no, I, I have to preface that. We said, we told them when they were little and not going into a lot of detail, we are vegetarians because we don't want to eat our animal friends. So then after that, I told them, if you know, if you see meat or if you're at somebody's house, if you want to try it, go ahead, because I thought it would be worse to make it like a forbidden fruit. And when we said you can go ahead and try it, but not in the house, they looked at us at us as if we had lost our minds. It's like you just told us that we don't eat our animal friends. So now why are you telling us that if we want to, we can try it? So I think, you know, it's sort of not making it a big deal, not making it forbidden. They felt like it was more of their own decision. And that seemed to work for us. It may not work for everybody, but it seemed to work for us. You know, as far as tips... I just, you know, I remember just trying to make mealtime really accommodating because one of my one of my kids really liked to eat and cook and was really interested in food. That was my younger one, Evan, who was the first um, vegan. And um, my older child was a more of a picky eater. So I just wanted to make sure that there's a, a diverse amount of food on the table at each meal so that it's not like, okay, you have to eat everything that's on your plate. They got to choose a little bit of, of what was going to go on their plate. Like, like maybe there was a platter of raw vegetables with a dip and maybe there was a, you know, a main dish and a side dish. So there were things to choose from and just to create a really relaxed atmosphere around it, I think is really important. That's a really good philosophy, Nava. And that's what the research supports too. So well done. It's, and yeah, you're the walking role model. You could, I, I hope everyone hears that, like just giving yourself, like when children or people have autonomy on a decision, that's what makes it, you know, stick and feel right and not feel forced. I think that was, that's really great to hear that. Yeah. Oh, also is have them go shopping with you. You know, some kids don't like it, but a lot of kids love it. Take them to a farm market, let them choose one or two things, uh, you know, maybe say, what should we make for dinner? You're right. They really like that autonomy. They like to feel like they have some of the decision making. It's it makes wonderful. It, more fun. it does. It makes it more fun for them. Yeah. They say and, have them involved in the kitchen, in the garden, the shopping. That's exactly what all the research supports. Absolutely. It just, you know, it makes it more real and a lot more fun for them. It's not like a chore or a task. So you published this book originally in 1984, and then you recently revised it, and it's called Veget. I'm not going to say it in vegetarian. Vegetarian. Oh my gosh, I cannot say it. <laughs> you cannot. I'll say it for you. It's vegetariana. As I said, rhyming with <laughs> It's funny because my name is Juliana, so you think it'd be easy for me. Vegetariana. Oh it's true. It rhymes with your name. Exactly. Oh, that's so funny. And I love, I love it. It's so special. It's this hand illustrated by you. It's filled with these snippets of quotes and wisdom and stories. What does it feel like to have written this book originally in 84? And so much has evolved and so many books are out there, but this, you've revisited this beautiful little book. And what's it like to do this in a completely different era? 
That, that is a good question, and it's a really big question, and we might need to break it down into sort of subcomponents. So when I started writing this, I was in my 20s, in my mid-20s, and there really weren't that many even vegetarian cookbooks back then. Imagine, you know how many vegan cookbooks there are on the market. I, you can't even count them. No. You know, we can't even say dozens anymore. I'm not even sure we can say hundreds. We could. Oh, no. Thousands. It was, thousands back then there was you know the 1970s breakthroughs were molly katzen with the moosewood book uh anna thomas with a vegetarian epicure and i believe um diet for a small planet by francis moore lapay there was a few a handful more then in the 80s there was a handful more of us and when i was sort of researching how to you know how to position this how to pitch this I came up with maybe a dozen of us who had broken a little bit into the mainstream or a lot into the mainstream when, you know, when you talk about Molly Katzen and, and uh, Anna Thomas. So there were like a dozen of us vegetarian cookbook authors, if you can imagine such a different landscape. So I barely knew what I was doing. I was an art student. I was a graphic designer. I was an illustrator. I never, I've never been trained, you know, as a chef or as a cook in any fashion. So I know this just was a, a notion that came to me to put together three areas that I was really interested in, which is illustration, literature, and food. And I put it together like a very naive young author. Long story short, it really didn't take me that long to find a publisher back then. And I found a good publisher and the book became, you know, sort of a, you know, I call it a cult classic because it didn't sell in the millions like Molly Katzen's, but it was a main selection of a book club. If anybody remembers book clubs, and it sold <laughs> really book club. yeah. And it, you know, there was Book of the Month Club, and so it was a main selection of a subsidiary of Book of the Month Club, which was called Quality Paperback Book Club. And it really sent me on a very unexpected path. Because at the time, I considered myself a starving artist, basically. And then once this book was doing so well, the publisher offered me a second contract, which was really good back then for a you know, young author in her 20s who really didn't know what she was doing at all. <laughs> um, yeah, it's been amazing to think about the history, to revisit it. And honestly, I feel like from the 80s till now, things have not gotten better in the world, I'm sorry to say. But this is one area where things have really improved, where people have the awareness of animal issues, um, health issues as it relates to plant-based eating, just the sheer availability of products and ingredients, whether people are full-time vegans or not. You go into a supermarket and they have the most beautiful produce sections, no matter where you are. Back then, it was really slim pickings. You know, when I started to cook for myself in my teens, I would drive to these what's called health food stores, but basically they were vitamin shops with maybe a few feet worth of actual food. Yes. So that's, you know, the, and you know, if you've ever been to any of these conferences like the Natural Product Expo or the Plant-Based World Expo, you see how this movement you know, it's not just a moment, it's a huge movement has grown so exponentially. So I would say that's one area that things have vastly improved in. I'd be very hard pressed to think of anything else that has gotten better in the last, you know, 20, 30, 40 years. 
It's true. It's it's like anything you could eat. We could eat vegan now, and it's it's you know it's also there's some risk to that, right? Because you don't have to eat lentils and rice, which is the healthiest way to eat anyway. But on the other side of that, it is really amazing to see all of the all of the options and the variety for anyone, you know, so it kind of is welcoming to the whole world. And like you guys found out, like your son found out through the internet, it's like this the information just spreads so fast. So that's a, that's a great way to say it. And there's so many delicious recipes in this book. I just, I don't even know where to, I want to try all of them. The spicy stir-fried eggplant and peppers, the mushroom and tofu and wine, easy chickpea curry. I've got like a list of ones that I want to start with. I can't wait. Um, so you've written so many books and I know it's, it's like a, it's an unfair question to ask. It's like choosing between children, but do you have anyone in particular that's your favorite? You know, I, you know, it's sort of an expected answer. I think it's this one. I think it's vegetariana because it was my first, it was my first baby. (laughs) You know, you could see it's really a labor of love and even returning to it, there's just something very comforting about it. And I just wanted to to mention, kind of going, uh, segueing a little bit, is just a few days ago, I got an email from a reader saying that she's had this book for 15 years, so I guess she has one of the older versions, and she still makes this one recipe called, and get this, it's called Three Beans with Two Cheeses. It's one of those really ridiculous 1980s type of recipes that really works somehow. And of course, now the two cheeses are vegan. But she said that, you know, for her, a cookbook is worth its weight in gold. If there's a favorite recipe that you make over and over again for more than a dozen years. So I thought that was very sweet. It was very flattering. A hundred percent. I'm sure you have so many of those with all of the prolific work you've put out there. And congratulations. I mean, oh, I'll mine for you, by the way. I've been for years making your matzo ball soup. Oh, the matzo ball soup. That's from Vegan Holiday Kitchen. It's also on my website, The Vegan Atlas. I, I always say that my vegan matzo balls are somewhat internet famous and they don't fall apart. No, they're spectacular. And I too grew up in a Jewish household with the carrots being boiled for hours and like produce being very unattractive. So I love your take on some classic Jewish recipes and I, I definitely use those. So thank you for that contribution. Those are hard yeah. to come by. Yeah, and they're not always so easy to veganize, but it, there, there is a demand for it out there. Juliana, I was saying every time the Jewish holidays uh, come along, like Passover and Rosh Hashanah and, um, you know, vegan latkes for, for Hanukkah, mm-hmm. the traffic on my website goes crazy. And I saw, I think, really, there are really 7,000 people making a vegan Passover plate right now. <laughs> so How it's really... It's so nice to see. And I That's feel like awesome. you know, we're kind of part of a community. We're all kind of making these things at the same time. Something really nice about that. Oh, I love that. Oh, we should have a little party. We should do a little cooking demo around the holidays on Zoom. Oh, that would <laughs> we would definitely really talk fun. about that. Yeah, oh, we'll talk about that. Okay, so I love that one of your books, okay, one of the biggest obstacles people have when they want to convert to a plant-based diet or they want to transition or they're thinking about it, they're plant curious, I like to say, one of the biggest barriers is the difficulty and the time that they feel like they're going to have to spend to figure out recipes in the kitchen. And one of your books, The Vegetarian Five-Ingredient Gourmet, you know, is a perfect example of what I like to quote Da Vinci's uh, saying of simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. 
What are some tips you have for simplifying cooking for anyone that's plant curious? Oh, so by the way, there is a 21st century version of that one, which is five ingredient vegan, even better. Oh. And so five, the five, uh, the vegetarian gourmet, the word gourmet is really used quite loosely. And that book doesn't have a single picture in it. I think it's 21 years old now. It had a really good run, but you know, I wanted to do a five ingredient vegan version. It's not an updated edition of that. It's its own thing. So, you know, that's a really good point and a really good question. People are afraid it's going to be complicated. That's a myth. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be any more complicated than any other type of meal. You're just like you said, you just replace other ingredients with vegan ingredients. But for, you know, I've always made my recipes very simple I've always really wanted to keep it real for readers. I'm just a home cook. I'm not a chef. I get into the kitchen after a long day, and I just want to spend anywhere between a half hour and an, at the most an hour making dinner. An hour for me is like really taking it, you know, taking it slowly, taking it leisurely, I should say. I think that people shouldn't be afraid to use shortcuts when they're really busy. There's no shame in that. In fact, okay, I'll give you an example. The Indian simmer sauces for me were such a game changer. Are you familiar with them, Juliana? I am. I am. Right. They are yeah, so Yeah, because those are like the Indian palate is just so many spices that they're real complicated to make. So that makes it so much easier. Exactly. So in the Asian foods aisle, right next to where you'd find you know, things like teriyaki sauce and other Asian ingredients, this is a, I think this is a fairly recent phenomenon, maybe in the last five, six years or so where these sauces have become really popular. And basically you can take this jar, 12 ounce jar of sauce, combine it with chickpeas and spinach, maybe a little cauliflower. It tastes like it came from a really great Indian restaurant. Because like you say, to make really good Indian food, you need a lot of spices. Sometimes there's like 20 spices. And at the end of the day, a lot of us just don't feel like doing that. We're not familiar with it. These sauces just make it so easy. And then basically you might want to add quinoa or rice, a uh, simple salad, and you have dinner really within minutes. And it's really so good. I love that. So that's, yes. yeah, that's one of my favorite shortcuts, actually. What are some other favorite shortcuts? You know, I, I think there's also no shame in using, you know, especially in the winter. Of course, in the summer, we love the fresh produce. In the winter, the uh, flash frozen uh, vegetables, you know, preferably organic when possible. Again, you know, I put myself in the place I've been. I've been a mother of young children who works all day and then has to go to a soccer game and then has to come home and, you know, make a dinner that everybody likes. So, you know, there's some really good frozen vegetables like peas, corn, green beans that, you know, just are a really good meal starter. Um, I, I love anything that has to do with noodles. A lot of times noodles or pasta, but, you know, in the time that the pasta or noodles cook, you can make a really delicious sauce. And, you know, that takes maybe, what, 20 minutes. So um, we're not going to stand and make a marinara sauce from scratch. And there's so many really good ones. And kids love that. Oh, I love making homemade pizza. In fact, I'm going to do that tonight. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm usually, yeah i'm usually we have we have a guest so i'm usually way too lazy to make crust so there's really good crust at the store sometimes it's whole grain often it's whole grain you know you just put your favorite marinara sauce 
the vegan mozzarella, lots of veggies. And you have a really delicious pizza that costs a fraction of if you, you know, there are vegan pizzas also in town, but they're really super expensive. And really, by the time you order them and go and pick them up, you could have made the pizza at home if you have the right ingredients. Right. My mouth is watering. That sounds so delicious. Yeah. I mean, if you add, you could make it, do it yourself and in a convenient style, it's still going to be far healthier and more affordable to do it at a restaurant. So that's a really good tip. Thank you for sharing all of those tips. And I would love to just ask you, like back to the core of what the show is about, about choosing you now. And you've clearly listened to your intuition and it's taken you on this beautiful ride. How do you, Nava, choose yourself now at this point in your life? How do I choose myself? Wow. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a big question, especially to ask to almost any female and anyone who's a mother. It's very hard for us to choose ourselves, isn't it? Yes. But um, how I choose myself is that I like to embrace my inner nerd. <laughs> I'm a major nerd. I love to read. Everybody knows they cannot bother me between 7 and 7.30 because I'm watching Jeopardy. (laughs) (laughs) I love going, I love libraries. And, you know, during the pandemic, a lot of the libraries closed and I was just heartbroken. I love to go and take my laptop and work at libraries. Um, I love being surrounded by books. I I feel like anything nerdy just really gives me great great comfort. And that's how I choose myself. Nava, you are so inspiring. I'm so grateful for you taking the time today to talk to us and for all of your beautiful work you've put out in the world. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me. I love the idea of embracing your inner nerd and following your instincts. She literally paved a path for herself just by going within. If you are inspired and enjoy the Choose You Now podcast, become a member of our Patreon page. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash choose you now to have access to exclusive content like some tips for eating vegan on a budget that Nava just provided with us. Please subscribe to the show, rate and review us on iTunes and send us an email with questions and comments at choose you now podcast at gmail.com. For nutrition services and more information, visit me at plantbaseddietitian.com. I invite you to choose yourself now, and I'm signing off with lots of leafy green love.